Please pray with me. Father, we believe that you enabled Matthew to accurately record this passage. We ask that you would send your spirit to help us understand it and set its truth afire in our hearts. We ask all this through your son's name. Amen. It seemed like just another normal week in the town of Bibi. Kids enjoyed Christmas break. Sports fans anticipated college bowl games. Moms and daughters checked out sales at the mall. But then, as the residents walked outside to get their morning paper, there were a couple dead birds on the driveway. And looking down the street, on the neighbor's driveway, In fact, all throughout the neighborhood were these dead birds scattered. In fact, throughout the town, you may know, it was in the news recently, that the town of Beebe woke up to find some 3,000 dead birds all scattered around. It was as if they'd all just all of a sudden dropped dead simultaneously. What is that about? And what does it mean? Every once in a while, there's an event that's so out of the ordinary, so mysterious, that it stops us in our tracks. I don't know what caused those birds to die, and I don't know what it means. But today we're going to look at another startling event. It, too, happened on a seemingly normal day. Like so many days before, John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. John had called people to repent to tell God they were sorry, to apologize for the ways they dishonored him. People lined up, they apologized to God, and then as an outward sign, John dipped them in the river, baptizing, symbolizing being cleansed from their sins. So this is all going on like normal, one after another. But then one man is baptized, and three shocking things happen. The sky was ripped open. The barrier between heaven and earth was pulled back. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes and lands on this man and rests on him. And then a booming voice from heaven says, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It was no longer a normal day. These events all happened when Jesus of Nazareth was baptized by John. But unlike the birds falling from the sky, we can make sense of these events. This morning we're going to ask two questions. What happened at Jesus' baptism? And then the critical, life-altering question, do those same things happen at our baptism, or were they only for Jesus? As we progress in this sermon, especially as we get closer to the end, You're going to hear some things today that may be hard to make sense of. You're going to hear some things today that many scholars have chosen to avoid. But if you can grasp what's going on in Matthew 3, your life will soar. So let's start with our first question. What happened at Jesus' baptism? What do these events mean? Let's set the stage. 
John had been doing baptism after baptism after baptism for some time now. If you wanted to repent, you would leave the city limits and go find John in the wilderness, and you would get in line. So Jesus gets in this line to be baptized by John. But Jesus had no sins to confess. When John sees Jesus in line, John knew there was nothing Jesus had to repent of. What had he done? Had he lied to his mom? Had he stolen something from the corner store? Is there any way he dishonored God? John knew Jesus had not. So he tries to switch roles. John wants to be baptized by Jesus. John basically says, if there's one righteous person here, it's you. I am unrighteous before you. It wouldn't make sense for the unrighteous to baptize the righteous. It wouldn't make sense for a prostitute or a murderer to baptize a priest. But as we will see more than once in this passage, the thing that does not make sense is the thing we need to hear and the thing we need to see. In verse 15, Jesus tells John, this is what needs to happen for righteousness to be fulfilled. John obeys that and baptized Jesus. And as John baptized Jesus, five things happened. Righteousness is fulfilled. The heavens are opened. The Spirit descends on Jesus. Repentance baptism is turned into spirit baptism. And the Father speaks to Jesus. When Jesus says in verse 15 that this must happen for all righteousness to be fulfilled, what's he talking about? Jesus being baptized wasn't going to decrease the amount of sin in Jesus' life. There wasn't any there to start with. So how would that act fulfill all righteousness? Let's start with the basic definition of righteousness. Righteousness is just a fancy way of saying doing what God wants. Getting baptized was the thing that God wanted, fulfilling righteousness in at least three ways. The first way, Jesus is symbolically saying, in all that I do, I will submit myself to God's way. This is the very first public act Jesus does as an adult in the Gospels. And he uses it to say, in everything I do, God's way comes first. Not my way or someone else's way, God's way. That's the first way Jesus' baptism fulfills all righteousness. The second way is that Jesus comes to hang out with the sinners. He comes to associate with the broken people who have messed up their lives. All the other people in line, they came from all different walks of life and backgrounds, but the one thing they all had in common is they had messed up. But Jesus had not. Even though he hadn't, he chooses the righteous way of behaving, God's way of behaving. He chooses to have mercy and come hang out with these people. The third way Jesus fulfills all righteousness is that his baptism transforms John's baptism of repentance into a baptism of the Spirit. 
Until that time, everyone that John baptized been cleansed from, from sin and repented, yes. But the Spirit had not come upon them. But from here on out, every time someone was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Spirit would come upon them and enable us to live lives of righteousness. If you'll allow, the Holy Spirit's a little bit like power steering. I imagine that most of us in our cars have power steering. If you've never driven a car that doesn't have power steering, it's, it's a little bit harder to turn. It's a major advancement when cars got power steering. And if you were in a Formula One race, on a twisty road, on a twisty course, and you didn't have power steering, unless you had huge forearms, you're going to get left in the dust. It's going to be so hard to turn that thing, you're going to be getting tired out, and you won't get to where you want to go. But you pop power steering into that car, and all of a sudden, the place you're trying to get to is so much easier to get to. And that's a crude illustration of what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit enables us to get where we want to get to, to live lives of righteousness. That's the third way Jesus' baptism fulfills all righteousness. It brings this gift of the Spirit into our lives when we're baptized. So that's the first thing that happens at Jesus' baptism. All righteousness is fulfilled. The second thing that happens is that the heavens are opened. This barrier between where God lives and where his people lives is opened. A path is made. From now on, everyone who wants to be baptized and follow God is able to. The heavens are opened. The third thing that happens is the Holy Spirit comes and rests on Jesus. As we've said already, this transforms baptism into not just a repentance for sins, but now the Spirit comes upon all who are baptized from here on out. The fourth thing that happens, well, that is the fourth thing that happens. The fifth thing that happens, and often the least noticed, is that the Father audibly says to Jesus and everyone present, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Two things happen when the Father says that. The Father is saying to the rest of the world, this is the one. This is your Messiah. This is the person to study and look at if you want to know anything about me. Drawing on Old Testament imagery and passages, the Father is saying, this is the Messiah I have sent to rescue you. The other thing that happens in that moment is that Jesus hears his dad say, Son, I love you so much. And we can tend to brush over that as kind of a, a secondary thing, some nice icing on the cake. But hearing those words were just as important to Jesus as Jesus receiving the Spirit. Frederick Dale Bruner reminds us that no single reality is more important for any son or daughter to know than a father's love. Hearing the father's love and confidence in him frees Jesus to live life. It gives him security in the midst 
of what will surely be hard times to come. If we were to take these five events that happened at Jesus' baptism and rank them in order of importance, I would put hearing this voice as a tie for number one with receiving the Spirit. It's a crucial thing. So we've now answered our first question, what happened at Jesus' baptism? We've examined that, and it's been pretty straightforward. But now comes the tricky question. Do the same things happen at our baptism, or are they only for Jesus? Do the heavens open at our baptism? Is the barrier between us and God removed? It is. We don't always see it in a visually magnificent way, but we know that by faith it is happening. Does the Holy Spirit come upon us at baptism? It does. But this last part is where a lot of people get queasy. When we get baptized, does the Father say, You are my child, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased? Or to put it another way, does the Father love us as much as he loves Jesus? If you answer no to that question, that was just for Jesus. He was special. You will keep trying to earn that love from God and other people the rest of your life. If you can look at the Bible and say, yes, it is mind-boggling and hard to fathom, but the Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus, you will flourish. In much of his writing, Henry Nouwen takes this text from Matthew 3 and says that the most important thing in our lives is that we hear the voice of the Father saying to us, You are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. When I first heard that teaching, it was very appealing. But I was not convinced, because he takes these words that are spoken about Jesus, to Jesus, and all of a sudden applies them directly to us. I needed more straightforward biblical proof before I was ready to say that, yes, verse 17 applies not just to Jesus, but to all who were baptized. And then one day, I found it. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples throughout all generations. He's just about to go to the cross, and in verse 23 of John 17, he prays this to the Father. I pray that the world may know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus is praying that we would know that we are loved to the same degree and in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. If you need more proof, consider the way we're spoken of of Romans consider the way we're spoken of in Romans 8 and 9. In those chapters, Paul speaks about how we have been adopted by God into his family and how we are co-heirs with Christ. Have you ever seen a family 
that had both adopted children and biological children. A family where the parents loved the children so well and so equally that you had a hard time distinguishing who was adopted and who the biological children were. I've had that experience a couple times in my life. That's what it's like when God adopts us. God is a parent who doesn't play favorites. And as hard as it is to fathom, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. This may all be a lot to take in right now. If it is, let this matter haunt you. Don't take my word for it. Dig into the New Testament and examine it for yourself. Before the Christmas break, some of our college students heard Daniel Sepulveda speak, the Pittsburgh Steelers punter. And one of the memorable things about hearing Mr. Sepulveda speak is that Daniel described what his dad would tell him every time he left the house. He would say, Daniel, you're a winner. I love you. You're mine. That is exactly what God is saying to Jesus and to all of us when we are baptized. You're a winner. I love you. You're mine. If you remember nothing else from today, remember this. As hard as it is to fathom, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. When you are baptized, you can know by faith that God says to you, you are my child, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have this amazing love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us your love, to give us your spirit. Thank you that you are the perfect parent who tells us that you love us. I ask that you would sink these truths deep into our heart and that our lives would reflect the way that we are loved by you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.